if you were online or here last Sunday, uh, Mark and Cheryl led us in the Feast of Pentecost. And they said a number of things that I would like to, to expand upon uh, this morning. Not in any way that they did anything lacking. It was wonderful. But that um, one of the things they referenced that Pentecost, the feast last Sunday, is considered the birth of the church, which is a profound uh, concept. And, and so this morning I would like to explore a little bit about what is or what can be or what might be a church. And to give you some context for all that transpired, uh, what they shared last week, and in the second chapter of the book of Acts, uh, the book of Acts chapter 2 is very famous and profound and deep and mysterious, and 2,100 years later, we're scratching our head, what the heck happened there? Because the language just seems to strain at, at, at what was going on. But to, to give you some context, historically, uh, archaeologists and anthropologists and theologians have sort of hassled or figured out that in uh, the first century of the Common Era, Jerusalem was a metropolis of about 30,000 folks. So a little bigger than what Ashland is now. But in that time, that was a big city. That's huge. So 30,000 folks. But for the three major Jewish feasts of the year, when pilgrims from all over uh, Israel and Palestine and the world at large would come to Jerusalem to celebrate, the city would swell to 80,000 folks. So it went from 30,000 to 80,000. Can you imagine? Places to eat and sleep in Jerusalem would lay in food. And, and, and so you can imagine, I mean, everybody shows up. It was just swollen with, with people. Everybody's yards was filled with tents that were cappers. You couldn't get a room at a bed and breakfast. It was all booked up. I mean, it was just teeming with people. 80,000 where 30,000 normally live. And it was on this particular day that uh, at this point, there were about 120, uh, if the texts are accurate in their numbering, followers of Jesus still around. Jesus has died and has ascended into heaven according to the, the texts. And there were about 120 followers of his still meandering around Jerusalem. Most of those were not from Jerusalem, but were from Galilee. And they're hiding in an upper room because they're afraid of what was done to Jesus would happen to them if they let anybody know who they were and what they thought. They were afraid of you know, getting crucified or, or, or beaten or ostracized or whatever. So they're hiding in this room. And then on the day of Pentecost, craziness. 120 folks in a, you know, figure about double our size in a room. And it was like the ceiling got ripped off. And there was just an explosion of something. And, and, and the, like I said, the language strains to tell us what happened with this they started walking around and acting like they were drunk, totally out of control. And, and it appears as if tongues of fire were over. What the heck? 
and, and then when they went out on the street, you know, just, we got to get out of this room. There's, some, there's somebody let off gas. There's something. This is crazy. And so they go out, and as they start talking, people from different countries hear them in their own language. Now, whether these followers were speaking different languages or the hearers were hearing different, nobody knows, but it was craziness. And, and they had been afraid, and they weren't afraid anymore. And, and in the middle of all this chaos, Peter stands up and, and, and off the cuff, wings a sermon. No preparation. <laughs> and 3,000 people want to sign up. I like that. Let's do this. So whatever happened that day, we have no clue. I mean, it, it, it's beyond our ability to understand. But whatever happened that day, now, at the end of the day, there's 3,120 followers of Jesus, most of whom don't live in Jerusalem. At least 2,000, probably, or more, aren't from there. And it's not like they could wake up the next morning and say, whoa, that was something. When we get home, we need to find a good church. <laughs> there was no other church. There was no, this was it. Whatever it was they experienced, they were the only people on the planet that experienced whatever happened. And they had experienced it together. And they didn't want to leave. They didn't want to go home. They didn't, want to, they didn't want to lose whatever it was that occurred that day. And so they all moved in together. I think they probably, that's why the text in Acts 2.42 that, that Cheryl read last Sunday before our communion Acts 2, 42 to 47, they, they shared everything in common. They had to. It was either that or starve or leave. And so I think they probably crowded into whatever hovels they could find and slept in, uh, slept, you know, took turns sleeping. You sleep for a few hours and then go look for work because we got to get food. We got to, we got to, they, they didn't want to leave because whatever happened so transformed them. They'd never experienced anything like that. And as Mark shared with us, a couple of things he said that were so profound last Sunday that at the birth of this thing called church, there are three things that stood out for him, and I, I resonate very much with them. They were a community. They were in it together. And they were generosity and gratitude were the hallmarks of this community. They were generous, incredible. And it wasn't like they had to be taught yet. It just oozed out of them for, for whatever that experience was that got them. And that's why I have that little picture in the e-bulletin or in your handout. The Gary Larson cartoon that I love is the picture of a frog who's stuck on the bottom of a 747. The frog sticks his tongue out, think he's catching a fly, and what he catches is a 747 about to take off. And so the picture that Gary Larson draws is a, a 747 heading off into the sky with this frog stuck to the bottom of it with his tongue. See, the frog thought he was getting something, but something got him. And that's what happened at Pentecost. Those folks thought they were getting something, but something got them. And like that frog, the plane is taking that frog into places that frog never dreamed he would go. And those folks that got caught by whatever that experience was got taken to places and experiences and things they never dreamed 
they would go. That, that, that picture, for me, is the metaphor, right? a visual image of what it is to be a Christian to, and to belong to this thing we call church. And so now I'm going to ask Bob to come up because I, I have a, a little video I want you to. It's only a minute. It's very quick. You've got to pay attention or you're going to miss it. It's very quick. But it's a little video to, to help us think about what we mean when we use the word church. Das hier ist ein Mindset. Das hier ist ein richtiges Gesetzesgesetz. about that video. You had two people using the word sinking, and they meant totally different things. They were not communicating. And that happens often in this milieu where we use the word church. Because when I utter the word church, what I have in my mind could be very different than what you hear and have in your mind. We do the same thing with the word God. We do the same thing with the word soul. We think we mean the same thing, but we don't necessarily mean the same thing. And that's helpful to give us context when we try to talk about what is a church. Now, in the, the Greek of the New Testament, the New Testament was written in Greek, not English. English wouldn't be invented for another 1,500 years, so they had to make do with Greek. And so... The Greek word that's in the text is ekklesia, and it simply means called out ones, called out from the rest of whatever's going on. And so this idea of church, what it is to be a church, is something I think we have to, to figure out, particularly in this interim period of our church life here at the UCC, as we uh, interview for an interim and then hopefully we'll get a wonderful settled pastor to lead us into what it is we want to be. Now I am not suggesting that we try to be what they were. We can't. It was 2100 years ago. It was a Middle Eastern culture. Different language. They had an experience that you and I have never had. That bonded them and welded them together in an un incredible way. So I, I can't imagine we could try to duplicate or replicate what it is they were or how they were. But there are some things I think we should consider to carry forward if we're going to call ourselves a church. And, and Mark, last Sunday, a, new, a community, we are a group of people. You can't be church and be one. You can't just be one person and be a church. Although many Americans would love to do that. You can't. And so we're together. And, and generosity and gratitude should be wired into the DNA of, of who we are as a group. As, and, and this group, one of the things I so love about them 
is they modeled and really worked hard at what you know the, the current vernacular we use DEI diversity equity and inclusion because when you read the story of this community as they they tried to work out how to actually love each other because it's really really hard that's why so little of it's done but they ran into problems in Acts chapter 6 the Hellenistic speaking widows weren't getting their fair share from the food bank that the Hebrew-speaking widows were getting because the widows were cared for by the whole community and, and the, those that couldn't feed themselves. And, and so the Greek-speaking ones would be considered our immigrants. They don't speak English as a first language. And so they were getting short-shrifted when the food distribution came out. And so they went to the leaders, and the leaders said, well, you've got to rectify. Here's what we'll do. We'll pick seven Greek-speaking people to be deacons to make sure you don't get cheated. So they had to work it out. It wasn't easy to make sure it was fair and equitable. And then in Acts chapter 15, they had to, you think our annual meeting is something. Oh, Acts chapter 15, Peter and Paul got in a big fight because do we let Romans join our community? Do we let the oppressors in? Do we let Gentiles become part of the community? No, you've got to be Jewish to do And they had this big conference. And it was heated. Do we let these folks in? And they finally agreed, yeah, we do. Without any preconditions. Without any... You're not going to be a second class. We're all equal in here whether you speak Hebrew as a first language or not. And so they struggled through this stuff. They worked at it. But what I love is they didn't go tell the other people in Jerusalem, you need to do this. You need to be DEI. They worked on it themselves. They, were a mo they wanted to do it for each other so that other people could see what was going on and say, wow, that looks... Whoa, you see how that group, they care for each other. They're making sure nobody there is hungry. They're feeding each other. They're, they're accepting no matter just how you are. You're accepted there. And that's why I think so many people added to the number. You mean I can come here and be accepted? Just as I am? I don't have to change? I, you'll, you'll let me join? You'll, you'll let me be part of this? And they did. And I think, boy, there's a lot of folks that if they knew they could be loved and accepted as they were, would maybe want to rip the doors off this joint and try and get in here. If we did this, I mean really did it, and didn't just talk about it, how fascinating that might be. But they didn't sign petitions, and they didn't try to, to get out the vote. They just did it. And let the, the brilliance of that light attract people to them, which I think is just fascinating. There's a, a similar thought from our wise sister and brother and sibling Buddhists that I love. In Buddhism, I'm married to a very beautiful Buddhist, by the way, so I, I get this firsthand. But in Buddhism, there's three jewels of, of being a good Buddhist. The Buddha, the Dhanga, and the, uh, uh, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And to be the Buddha means you've had an awake, you've had an experience, you've awakened in some fashion. You're not 
just running around in the craziness of it all, the way so many folks are. That you realize there's more to life, and, and, and so you want to be awakened to that. And, and to give yourself to the Dharma means the teaching of the Buddha. And, and for us, that would be like Bible study and learning what did Jesus teach. And so I want to follow the teaching of Jesus. And the Sangha is the community. And we're a community. And, and I love, in the, in the Buddhist language, a, a Buddhist will often use the language when they want to join a Sangha. They say, I would like to take refuge in the Sangha. Well, refuge from what? Well, refuge from a crazy world where kids are afraid to go to school because they could get shot. And refuge from, from, I can't live on a fixed income anymore because the prices are just going through the roof. And I don't care who you blame, they're just, I can't afford it anymore. And refuge from being judged by the color of my skin or the accent of my English or not, or my sexual orientation. Refuge from the craziness of, of Ukraine and, and other parts of the world. Ref, refuge from domestic violence or sexual violence or emotional. Refuge from the craziness that's out there. I want to come to this place for refuge from that. Will you accept me? It's in my heart. That's what a church can be. Now it's not going to be easy because we're not all going to agree on how to do that. God knows some of you people are Democrats. <laughs> we're not going to agree on how to get there. But it's in the struggle as we work to get there that creates an opening and a crease for others to come in. And how we navigate the getting there is what really matters. If we can do it with kindness, with civility, with humility, with grace, I suggest that would be as miraculous as whatever happened on the day of Pentecost. In this culture, a group of a hundred Ashland people agreeing on something with kindness? My God, that's as miraculous as Pentecost. But it could happen because the same spirit that landed on Pentecost, we believe, is hovering around us. Unless the spirit builds the house. We're just working at a shack. And so these are the things I would like to suggest we should consider as we contemplate which we should and need to in this interim time, what is a church? What can be a church? Now, historically, sadly, I think, and this is just my opinion, uh, the church was a product or, you know, had difficulties because of its own success. In the first 300 years, it was against the law in the Roman Empire to be a Christian because the Romans take their religion very seriously and have their gods. And so for a group to come say, no, no, there's only one God and you got it wrong. They didn't like that. And so it was illegal to be a Christian for the first 300 years in the Roman Empire. But then around 313 with the Edict of Milan, it became legal to be a Christian. Now, some people get this a little wrong. It, did, it didn't become the, a religion of the Roman Empire. It just became legal to be a Christian. It was no longer considered illegal 
Christians were no longer uh, McNuggets for the lions in the in the in the thing, the arena. But it was about 67 years later, in 380, with the Edict of Thessalonica, that Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And I would suggest it was not the best thing that ever happened to Christianity. The merging of empire and Christianity just created a lot of problems that we are still suffering through today. The original experience of church was powerless people getting together to care for each other, to help each other through. And I think it was in my opinion, so much stronger and more vibrant than when it got a lot of power and a lot of money has not been the best thing for the ecclesia. And so, look, I'm not suggesting we go back and we try to... We can't do that. But I think it is incumbent upon us in this interim time to really talk to one another about what kind of ecclesia do we want to be in Ashland, Oregon, in 2022, 23, 24, 25, in this time, in this place, what kind of a church do we want to be? That, my sisters, brothers, siblings, is the question that is cogent and before us. And may the same spirit that birthed the church on Pentecost bring us to a, to a good answer in this time and this place. May it be so. For our benediction this morning, I brought a, a short poem from the wonderful poet, Kentucky farmer, Wendell Berry. It's called Our Real Work. And he writes, it may be when you no longer know what to do, we've come to our real work. And that when we no longer know which way to go, we have come to our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings.